welcome to Adult Materials. I'm Faye. Hi. And I'm Rachel. Hello. This is a podcast where we're reading through and discussing Philip Pullman's His Dark Materials novels, A Chapter at a Time, spoiler free. In this episode, we are talking about Chapter 10 of The Amber Spyglass, Wheels. Did that sound funny? No. Wheels. (laughs) I liked it. Chapter 10 of the Amber Spyglass. Wheels. 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 I liked it. It was great. Well, hello. 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 How are you? I'm tired. How are you? Yeah, I'm all right. I'm all right. Yeah, yeah, good. I just like, I feel like at the beginning of the year, I just never have much to say because there's just not much going on at all, like apart from work and I don't really do much. I did sit and binge watch the entirety of Yellow Jackets in like two days. Which don't give me any spoilers. I, no, no spoilers. I watched the first episode and I'm already obsessed. Yeah. I'm very it's excited. an incredibly good show and I bloody loved it. I put it up on my story to say that I was watching it and like four people replied being like, oh my God oh my god it's so good and i was like it truly is it's amazing it is so good wow official podcast recommendation i guess from at least one of us the the other one doesn't know enough but the first episode was really good like i was like yes we have to watch this i want to watch euphoria that's next on my list i think but i've i think it's quite depressing so i also i just today start because i always have to watch something i think it's something like to do with my anxiety like i have to know that like if i want to chill i've got something to put on if that makes sense i don't like not knowing that i don't have a show to watch so i have started i've been saying i'm gonna do this for ages and the guys have just started a podcast so i have started re-watching it's always sunny in philadelphia oh nice yeah because mac uh well that's not their real name so i was gonna say mac charlie and dennis have got a podcast but like charlie Glenn and Rob I want to say their names are I've got a podcast where they're like recapping every episode but like the earlier ones are rough like the first episode is called The Gang Gets Racist so you can imagine what that is like it's kind of like the same kind of sunny humour that they that they do now where they do it in a good way but because it was like 15, 16 years ago it doesn't pass the tests now if that makes sense you can yeah. tell they've tried to like make it not you know, you know what I mean you know the sunny humour yeah. like uh, but it just does not hold up in con- by kind of like complete contrast to you in on the recommendation of my friend Ella I've started re-watching the Vampire Diaries so that I can listen to the Empire Diaries podcast. With Latoya? Yes. Literally just today, I watched the first two episodes so I could listen to, uh, of the series so I could listen to the first episode of the podcast. And I'm already, like, have finished the third episode, <laughs> ready to watch the fourth. So it's going to be my new, like, I binge watch the TV series two episodes at a time and then listen to the podcast after. And that's going to get me through the rest of the work that I've got to get done because I've got like a bunch of stuff to get finished in time for shop making stuff and what I need to do that is a series that I can just sink my teeth into like you know, I've been between things like between shows that I can like binge watch I've never seen Vampire Diaries my niece loves it and whenever I recommend that she watches Buffy she just calls me old and she's like I actually don't like old vampire stuff like Twilight and I was like how dare you number one how dare you number two oh my god i'll just go and fucking kill myself shall i but um no never seen it but i do love i do fucking love a recap podcast and i especially love it when it's the people that you know were in the show or made the show i'm not a massive fan of new girl but i've just seen that they've started a recap podcast as well with zoe deschanel the person that played cc and lamon morris i want to say who played Winston but I'm not gonna do that because I've only I watched New Girl recently and I didn't really like it that much but I do yeah I love it I love a recap podcaster I let you know how the sunny one is I imagine it'll be very chaotic I've been gearing myself up to listen to an Avatar Last Airbender podcast that's hosted by some of the voice actors that were in it I'm really excited for that but also I've binge watched the series so many times that like I would really like to rewatch it while I listen to the podcast but I don't know if I can it's one of those where maybe it'll be like Buffy and I can just listen and I've watched it enough times that I have the show memorized <laughs> yeah i mean i mean yeah i don't i don't watch along with buffering although i will say it's getting more difficult now they're in season seven because it's a season that i don't like very much so i've seen it the least 
So, like, when they're talking about episodes, I'm like, I don't even remember this. It's still fun to listen. Oh, yeah, of course, of course, of course. <laughs> and it's my own fault I should watch the episode, but I'm just like, uh. Yeah, unfortunately enough that it took us, it's taken me five years to get my household to rewatch the entirety of Buffy. And because it's taken us that long, I've only ever been, like, a season behind or a season ahead of Buffering. So I've recently only just finished season seven, which is nice. Shall we talk about our own podcast for a bit? <laughs> <laughs> no, let's talk about other podcasts. <laughs> okay. <laughs> sure. Um... I'm like, what can I say? (laughs) Well, I literally have nothing to say about anything about our own podcast. We have no housekeeping whatsoever. I don't think we do, do we? I'm really aware that we've spent a bunch of time not hearing about other people's podcasts. (laughs) Yeah, we don't have much to say about our own podcast. I mean, we're here, we're doing it. Here we are, podcasting right now, actually. I've said it a million times, but I've got so much shit in my brain and in Half Finished for like Patreon. I've been working on a, I mean, I may as well just tell you all, I've been working on a fucking behind the scenes video for the song that we wrote for Lee Scoresby for fucking ages. I had to watch like four hours worth of Zoom videos. So, you know, but I'm like editing it together and I'm just like, when is that going to happen? Who knows? It will hopefully happen at some point. We have so many ideas and and just no time to do them. I'm going to say something very stereotypical. Is it that we're getting old that it feels like time is going really, really fast? Like, I swear to God, it was like not that long ago that I was freaking out in like October over not having time to do the stuff I needed to do and all of a sudden it's February. Yeah, also I just think pandemic times have made time go really fast as well Mm, true it's all just fucking slipping away isn't it life is just slipping away (laughs) slipping through my fingers am i singing busted yes (laughs) now she's gone sleeping with light on yeah boy yeah fun another little bit of like exciting stuff that's been going on in my house is that Johnny, who does the music for the podcast and who helped us to write the incredible Balloon Dog song that I know you all love so much. He's been working really hard over the last couple of years on writing a bunch of songs, writing an album, and he's like mixed it and mastered it and produced it all himself and like recorded it all. And we're just, we're really proud that a member of the pod family has done a cool music thing. So if you want to give it a listen, we would appreciate it lots. And you can find him on... Spotify, the band name is Homesick Hollow and the album title is Up On That Hilltop. You can also find him on Twitter and Instagram and everywhere like that at Homesick Hollow because that's what the like project slash band name is. So well done, Johnny, for putting an album out and yeah, please everyone go and have a little listen. It's really good. Yes, well done, Johnny. It's great and I'm glad it's finally in the world. Yeah, I hope that everybody likes it. I'm sure, I'm sure everybody will love it but yeah go follow go listen i've been listening to it for two bloody years so i'm excited for other people to hear it too (laughs) rich can't wait to never listen to it ever again (laughs) that is never gonna happen (laughs) i'm gonna be listening to it forever and i'll love every minute (laughs) so let's get off of our sad girl bullshit and talk about what our demons would have been the last week. So my demon, I am going big this week. I'm just doing it. I'm going for it. It's going to be an orca. It's going to be a killer whale. Because I have just felt the sea has been calling me for a while. That was originally what my my original demon was going to be before we realised that I would not be able to be on land ever. So it's like, because we do it week by week, I could spend a couple of weeks living on a boat in the sea with my orca demon just like, swimming around me and plus like I've been feeling a little bit like I have, a, I have some anger in me recently just for the just because I've been not doing much and I feel like orcas are like really fucking brutal they are <laughs> everyone's like oh they're so pretty oh sharks are mean it's like have you ever seen a killer whale <laughs> they're, they're called that for a neck for a reason they are the <laughs> by far the most brutal thing that lives in the ocean so yeah I feel that's my that's my vibe this week also putting it out there you picking a demon that maybe this isn't one of the reasons you chose it for, but it's a good one. You're doing a lot of organisation recently and killer whales are one of the most like organised groups, I think, because they're the way they hunt. Very organised. They do a lot of forward planning. And I feel like you've been doing a lot of forward planning. That is true. <laughs> See, I didn't even think yeah. about that, but it makes sense. <laughs> what about you? So, classic me. I was just, I googled what animals are exhausted. Because <laughs> I am... Um, perpetually just a bit exhausted really i think that it is the dark 
I think it's because it's dark all the time. So I'm sleepy all the time. Yeah, it's getting lighter at night though. Yes, I've been so glad about that. Like, and also lighter in the mornings when I'm waking up. Like, I've been struggling to drag my ass out of bed because I struggle when it is still dark outside at the time that I would want to wake up. Basically, I'm just knackered. So I have gone for a sleepy animal. I've gone for an echidna. Oh, that's what uh, Tails is from Sonic the Hedgehog. But also, Tails looks nothing like an echidna. Just the same as how Sonic looks nothing like a hedgehog. It's like, how? Oh, like Crash looks nothing like a bandicoot. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, they're very they're very cute. They're also known as spiny anteaters. And they're very slow moving and sleep for roughly 12 hours a day, which feels like an exact description of me right now, slow moving and sleeping for 12 hours a day. They have a low body temperature, which also feels like me. I'm always cold. And yeah, they're just generally... They tend to sleep the day away to avoid dealing with the hot Australian sun. So yeah, maybe I'd have a little echidna chilling somewhere with me. Also, it's just the fact that they're like, they're cute and cuddly looking, but they're also spiny. So it's like, oh, I'm sleepy, I'm chill, I'm cute. Don't don't come near me. Don't touch me though. No, no. Don't approach me in any way. I'm sleepy and chill. That's my vibe right now. Love that vibe. Well, shall we? get into the chapter should we talk about this book yes let's do it last chapter will continued his journey on the berber and yorick studied the knife after reaching the foothills of the mountains of central asia by boat will and yorick continued on foot to rescue lyra asriel's force and the magisterium were also on their way to lyra who will get there first in this chapter, Father Gomez enters Chittagatse and quizzes Angelica and Paula about Mary, Lyra and the knife. Mary gets comfortable with the Malefa and learns more about their way of life. Oh my god, a rhyme! <laughs> I didn't realise that I wrote it to rhyme. Oh, knife and life. Yeah. I did not realise it rhymed even as I was saying it with my mouth. Great, I love it. Oh my god. Some dickhead massive birds come and destroy the Malefa's settlement and we are livid. Absolutely livid. Those birds can fucking get in the sea. I hate it. Wait, no, that's where they live. They can get in a volcano. <laughs> yeah, I fucking hate it. It's the worst. So, do you want to guess what the picture is first? Yes. Um, I will say, before you guess, Phil has really fucking phoned it in this week. Truly. Oh. Is it just the sea? <laughs> no, but it's, it may as well be. Uh, a tree? No. All of these would a have been hut. better than what it is. Uh, I literally don't know. It is the eating sticks. Oh, okay. That's like a really small part of the chapter. Exactly. He was clearly like, I can't be asked to draw anything this week. I'm just going to scribble in a box, which is basically what it looks like. Sure. I mean, you, you don't have the energy to do it all every week, do you? Fair I enough. mean, we, we feel that, Phil, in fairness. I know I'm ripping you right now, but we feel that. <laughs> Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I struggle to think of what to draw for our podcast chapter sometimes. So, like, can you just do the eating? Maybe this stick? week I'll just draw the sticks, <laughs> just like that as well. Like, no color or anything, no background, just a little squiggle. Usually, I try and draw something different to what Phil draws, but maybe this week, no. <laughs> do you want to tell me about this quote? I do. So, it's from the Bible. It's from one of the king's books in the Bible. Basically, because it's a Bible thing, it becomes kind of hard slash annoying to research because you it's like trying to find like an academic literary reference thing for Bible quotes. You have to then also sift through a lot of like really religio <laughs> sites. <laughs> I don't know how to say it. You have to sift through a lot of like very heavy duty Christian sites that are like for people literally doing bible study as part of their religious practice as opposed to like just like scholarly references to maybe how this has influenced other pieces of it and the things that i find more interesting personally or even just finding out about like the wider context it's just assumed that you know the content of the book and it'll talk about some way you're supposed to feel about it but the gist that i got from the reading that i did is the context is there's two guys ahab there's elijah one of them is a ruler of some kind that has been kind of... I think there was an issue previously with his people worshipping 
a false idol of some kind. This is, I'm probably very wrong. Please do not. <laughs> Don't email. <laughs> My reading was like, you know, when you're reading it, you're like, I think this is what's happening. But then when you actually try and read the words, Bible verses so like florally worded that it's hard to like decipher sometimes. There has been a drought for a long period of time and they've been praying for a miracle. They've been praying for rain. And Elijah says to a guy called Ahab, go up to the top of this hill and look to see if you can see any clouds to see if there's going to be rain. And he sends him up six times. And on the seventh time, because the Bible bloody loves the number seven, he is looking out at the sea. And so the quote that Phil's chosen is, there ariseth a little cloud out of the sea like a man's hand. And that's basically it. It's, and it came to pass on the seventh time that he said, behold, there ariseth a little cloud out of the sea like a man's hand. And he said, go up and say unto Ahab, prepare thy chariot and get thee down that the rain stop thee not. So basically they've been praying for rain. He goes up, he looks out, he sees a little cloud across the sea. It grows and grows and grows and they get rain. And it's like, cool, your prayers were answered. That, and that, that's the vibe. But TBH, I think it's just been chosen by Phil because... At a certain point in this chapter, Mary is looking at the sea and she sees something small in the distance mm -hmm. that gets closer. I feel like maybe Phil phoned it in a bit, but also what a specifically random bit to choose. Bring me Emily Dickinson is what I'm saying. Bring back Emily. I appreciate her. Does he just know <laughs> the Bible that he could just pull that quote out of his ass? This is what I mean when I was like, God, he's just like got all this shit like in his brain. Cause it's not like he could just Google it when back in the 90s. I literally, yeah, I don't know. Maybe it's, maybe there's more relevance surrounding it. I struggled to, especially when it's kind of feels like an obscure Bible quote that it's not like a, that I know of. It's not a super well-known Bible story. Like I didn't grow up massively religious, but we went to a Church of England primary school and we went to church a bit when I was younger. So I know like a lot of the basic Bible stories. The basic bitch Bible stories, sure. Basic bitch Bible stories. And also the like, if it was in a series of plays called The Mysteries, which is a lot of Bible stories done as plays. I know those because my village did the plays a few times. But yeah, like it's not one of the main ones that I think a lot of people know. So randomly pulling that out, it just, you know, it just feels a bit random, Phil. Like you, you do you, babe. <laughs> okay, here we go. In this chapter, first things first, a little cameo from Angelica and, and Paula. Yeah, they're back and they're gossipy little bitches. They are, and they're so angry. <laughs> they're so angry. Yeah. And I get it, I understand. And uh, Father Gomez, ew, ew, Father Gomez, is here, unfortunately, um, and is asking if they've seen Mary. They proper diss Mary. <laughs> She's like... <laughs> Yeah, she looked hot, sweaty in the face, all right. I read that the wrong way for, at first when it said she looked hot. I was like, yeah, she looked hot. I was like, oh yeah, she was here and she looked hot. And I was like, oh my God. And then you are it, too young for that kid. And then it was like, oh yeah, she looked sweaty. And I was like, rude. Like, it's hot in Chirigatsu, is it not? Fucking rude. Also, the vibe that is children trying to guess the age of an adult. They've got a fucking 20 year fucking window here. He's like, how old did she seem to be? And they're like, I don't know. Old, I suppose, 40 or 50. 40 or 30, even. She could be 30. And it's like, this is the thing. Like, I thought, oh, awesome. We're going to, like, get a bit of an insight into how old Mary is here. And I was like, no, no, no. There's a 20-year window that we could be in. Get an insight into how old children perceive grown-ups to be, which is just, if it's over 21, it's like, ugh, ancient. Yeah, it's upsetting because I recently turned 30. And now I'm thinking, do children think I look 50? <laughs> like, I fucking hope not. No offence to 50-year-olds, but I'm only 30. I'm not there yet. <laughs> it genuinely makes me think back to my days of being like a girl guide and stuff and thinking about like the girl guiding leaders as being so old, except for the young ones that were cool, whereas like the occasional one that was like someone that had like just graduated uni and would have like come back to help or whatever or the young leaders that were like specifically like 18 to 21 year olds that are coming back to help out or whatever and it's like I thought they're young and cool everyone else is really old and it's like actually they're probably like 25 to 30 and some of the older women that are there that are helping like are maybe in their 40s and 50s but I was like oh god they're really old and actually no 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 that's just that's how old 12-year-olds perceive anyone over the age of 25 to be. Yeah, that's <laughs> like, so upsetting. That's if so I upsetting. went to help out now, I would not be the young, cool helper. I'd be one of the old ladies. <laughs> it makes me want to die. Yeah, my niece is 12 <laughs> and I always view myself as being like the young, cool aunt. And I'm like, I'll go and pick her up from school or whatever when I'm 
back at my mum and dad's. And it's like, I bet all these kids think I'm so old and I'm not that old. I'm like, hello, fellow children. <laughs> <laughs> with my skateboard. Sup, with a whack PlayStation. <laughs> Sup. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. So Gomez is there looking for Mary. We know this. They tell him about her repelling the spectres. And he, it seems that he can repel them as well because they're not fucking feasting on him, are they? Yeah, he doesn't seem to know what the spectres are or what's going on. So, like, he comes across, this is the thing, like, he's obviously chatting with these kids and, like, endearing himself to them in some way. And he comes across as, like, very mild-mannered because it literally says, like, oh, there's a lot I don't know, he said mildly. But, like, it just comes off as creepy. I don't, I I don't, I don't like him. (laughs) I know we're not supposed to. But, yeah, no. Yeah. It's funny because, like, Paolo was, like, really, at the beginning of this chapter, he's very much, like, in the first couple of lines, oh, she looked hot and she looked really sweaty. And then, like, for the rest of it, he lets Angelica speak for him. He's, like, whispering in her ear and stuff. I wonder whether he's, like, picked up on the creepy vibes. Maybe. Also, maybe Angelica's, like, a bit like, shut up, Paolo. Because wasn't it him that let it slip about Tulio being in the tower? So he's probably quite careful of his words now, which is actually really sad and traumatic. Yeah, it is. It is very much so. They mentioned the knife and Gomez Gomez says it'll try and get it back. I like, I don't like it because I don't like to hear shit about Will and Lyra, but they're fucking angry. So if I can, he said, I shall. The knife comes from here, does it? From the tower tower of angels, (laughs) said the girl. (laughs) Yep. uh, Pointing at the square stone tower over the red uh, brown rooftops. It shimmered in the midday glare. And the boy who stole it, he killed our brother Tullia. The spectres got him all right. You want to kill that boy. That's okay. And the girl, she was a liar. She was as bad as him. So they're just like, yeah, fuck him. Kill him. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Why not? Don't forget Lyra. Kill her as well. <laughs> Hell hath no fury like a small ginger girl scorned. Mm. Oh, yeah, we know that. <laughs> <laughs> yep. <laughs> they tell him then about the witch. It's bit, this is a bit of a recap, isn't it, about like what happened. Like They tell uh, him about the witches and the witches like rescuing Will and Lyra. They mention the spectres again and Father Gomez, I hate this. He's like, they mention, oh, like it's odd that you aren't affected by the spectres. They don't seem to be bothering you. And he's like, I have no knife, but I have a sacred task. Maybe that is protecting me against these spectres. It's like... "Mm, I fucking hope not. I hope not. I mean, we know that there are angels on the side of the CCD because one assumes that's who Metatron is. Metatron? Not Megatron. Yes, Metatron. Not Megatron. Not the the Decepticon, no. (laughs) Yeah. So maybe there's, in the same way that there was something protecting Mary, there's something protecting him. But I hate that. I don't feel that a child murderer, well, a future child murderer. Future potential child murderer. not done it just yet, but he's sure is excited for it. I don't think that he should be protected from no, I, I completely agree. He then leaves to find Mary. And then we're with Mary. We we, we skip ahead to, to be with our lovely Mary. And I just hope that we're not back with Gomez again anytime soon because I just don't want it. Yeah, that was enough for me. Yeah, that was enough. <laughs> Page and a half. Goodbye, friend. <laughs> or goodbye, not friend. Goodbye, enemy. <laughs> mm-hmm. I dislike you very much. But I love Mary and learning about the Malefa, which is really fun. Basically, this whole chapter is learning about the Malefa, which is great. Uh, we learn that she's been with them for three days and she's like learning loads. She's basically been riding on a palfoot. <laughs> I said that weirdly, but you know. Yep. Well, she struggles to think of what to call them, right? She's like, my bike? <laughs> like, no, you can't call this this person a bicycle Mary that's considered rude in most circles I love the idea of the Malefa like freewheeling as well when they get to like a hill she reminds me of, like doing yeah. your new bike when you're a kid just like woohoo <laughs> like, yeah I, I literally imagine them going along and instead of using the side legs to like travel they're like yeah <laughs> like yeah. aeroplaning them out yeah like high-fiving each other yeah like woohoo let's go again Feed it into the biker gang vibe. Um, and we are still accepting your names for this biker gang, people. If you haven't told us what you think, we had a couple of emails, I think, with some good ones. We'll save it for a mailbag. But if you have any ideas on what the Malefa biker gang <laughs> can be called, let us know. Yes, because I will make merch for that biker gang. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. 
yeah, again, Phil is just really going in on this. I've invented a species of creatures with really weird skeletons and the way that I'm going to describe them is going to potentially shift as we go through this because I don't have to draw it for you. And also, it's just going to be really hard to imagine. Good luck. Good luck to the TV (laughs) show, you know. Good luck to the TV show that have to, like, again, like we said about Yorick's hands, they might skillfully avoid it. But like, can you imagine the scene where Mary is riding on the back of Malefra and they're freewheeling down a hill? Like, how are they going to do that? And not make it look ridiculous. Like the skeletal structure, I do not understand how it could work. How is it a diamond shape? Is it off of a diamond shape? Like, is it like an X in that, in the sense that it's a diamond shape? Or is it more like literally like a frame? In which case, is it like Mary's sat in a little hammock? But then where do their like essential organs go and how are they protected? Thinking too hard about it starts to make me, yeah, and try to imagine it is just, it's too difficult. Like, I can't. And it's wild that that's the thing. I, I cannot imagine this animal without a central spine. I'm like, oh, it must all come off of a central spine just in a different configuration. No. <sighs> We've been literally been told they don't have a spine down the middle. So how the heck do they work? <laughs> I don't know, but it does hurt my brain trying to think about it. So we like learn more about where they live. And basically they live like humans would. They have like huts and tools and things like that and then that's when mary's like well they're not creatures they're they're people like they're not humans but they're definitely people which i think is really cool and i think it's something that like i kind of missed when i read it for the first time in the sense that like i didn't really think about how you know you can call someone a person when they're not a human if that makes sense I remember having a debate with you about whether bears were people in the first book because oh, really? I think I called, I was like bears are people too and you were like they're not people they're bears and I was like no but they they are people they are like a people yeah interesting I think it's because I see the bears the bears can talk but I feel like they still they live more like bears actual bears do you know what I mean like yeah Yoffa a castle and stuff but like Yorick and I feel like they live like solitary and all that kind of... They remind me more of actual bears. Maybe it's because the Malefa are like a completely new creature that I can see that more easily. Yeah. But yeah, they're people. I like it. I like it a lot. I love that she's very quickly, I think, made that shift in her head, which I think is really interesting because like she could still be... I mean, I'm surprised that she's not thinking of them as... That she was thinking of them as creatures as opposed to like aliens in a lot of ways because she's literally crossed through a dimension. How is I feel like I would be thinking maybe of them as aliens, and then it's easier to go from aliens to people than it's from creatures to people, which is a weird thought. I did a small detour when I was reading this because I just wanted to double check that I understood the construction of these huts because it says uh, there are 20 or 30 huts roughly grouped in a circle made of. She had to shade her eyes against the sun scene to see wooden beams covered with a kind of wattle and daub mixture on the walls and thatch on the roofs. So wattle and daub, if you don't know, is a very old method of building. It is you use vertical wooden stakes or wattles and they are woven with horizontal twigs and branches and then you cover them with clay or mud and that's like one of the oldest known methods for making waterproof structures, which is pretty cool. So it's almost like you weave a giant basket and then cover it in mud. It's like, yeah, well pre-bricks and stonework and stuff, which is very cool. And then thatching is, which we learn a little bit more about as Mary is on the roof later helping repair some thatching. Um, But that is using dry vegetation such as straw, water reed, rushes, sedge and so on to create roof coverings. And the tighter it is compacted, because all of those uh, plants have like a natural water resistance. So the tighter it's compacted, the more water resistant it is. And also the fact that it's a bunch of compacted, like hollowed plants and stuff means it's really good insulating for heat. So it's both water resistant and heat resistant. And it's just bundles of twigs tied really, really, really close. Not twigs, but reeds and stuff tied really close and stacked in such a way that it creates roofs. I just think it's really cool. I love old building and the fact that Phil's decided, yes, they're going to use building techniques that Mary recognises as being building techniques that human people have used in her world, like historically. I just think that's kind of cool. Also, there's a lot of old thatched buildings in the Oxford area. So Phil probably loves that vibe. I could just, this whole, like, I could just never write a book. 
I don't have the attention span for all this research that like clearly that Phil has done, you know, like about building techniques. I mean, it might be knowledge that he already has, but like every time I read like a really intricate book, I'm like, I could never do that. I don't have the attention span for, for this shit. I'd be like, yeah, they got there and they were hurts. I don't give a shit. I'll be built. Do you know what I mean? Like, in like I, I'm just like, Ugh, cool. I mean, it's great. I'm not saying it's a bad thing. I'm saying it's a really, really good thing. I just couldn't do it. Well, if you're like Phil and you take bloody ages to write a bloody book, where's the third book of <laughs> dust, Phil? Hey. And he's releasing another book. All right. Before that. Sort your life out, mate. Um, <laughs> not me telling renowned author Philip Pullman to sort his life out. Uh, Sir Philip Pullman. Sort your fucking life out. Yeah. But yeah, the amount of time that he spends on them, I imagine it's the kind of thing where he can reread a chapter and be like, oh, I can add some more detail there. I'll go and research that and plonk that in. I mean, that's how I assume authors go about authoring. (laughs) Who knows? So they have language. Mary's been following how they talk. They have fire. They have all these things that make her think of them as people, which is very cool. And they still consistently make fun of her whenever she speaks to them. So she thanks one of them when she climbs off of her as she struggles to think steed and settles for friend. And she says, thank you. And they all run around going, Anku, Anku, which I think is really cute. It is very cute. They're obsessed with her hands as well. And the fact that she has two hands, which we'll see like come into play a little bit later. And I get it. Hands are great. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, <laughs> there's something so wonderful about a woman on a podcast sitting there and just saying the words, hands are great, in a really emphatic way. I'm just saying. <laughs> I don't know if that's where you were coming from when you said it, but the way it came across was just Faye sitting alone in a bedroom just going, hands are great. I love hands. We know this. <laughs> I've got a thing about hands. Mm-hmm. And so do the Malefa, apparently. <laughs> well, exactly. That's what I mean. So we get another great description of the Malefa, but this time more in depth about their face and their trunks. So I'm just going to read that because I think it's quite an interesting aspect of them. Uh, So they felt her hands and have been like inspecting her hands and in return, they let her feel their trunks. Uh, They were infinitely flexible and about as long as her arm, thicker where they joined the head and quite powerful enough to crush her skull, she guessed. The two finger-like projections at the tip were capable of enormous force and great gentleness. The creatures seemed to be able to vary the tone of their skin on the inside on their equivalent of fingertips, from a soft velvet to a solidity like wood. As a result, they could use them both for delicate tasks like milking a grazer and for the rough business of tearing and shaping branches. I love that. I just think that's a really cool, like really, again, kind of alien aspect of them that they can choose the hardness of their skin. Because like... I mean, for humans to do that, it's kind of like you either have to moisturise a lot to get very soft hands or you have to work a lot and get very, very calloused hands in order to have hands that are hard. Like it's not it's not a trait that I understand. And so that's really, it's just a really cool thing that it's like they can do that at will. Yeah, it's very alien for sure. We learn they also use their trunks to communicate uh, like moving them in different ways to mean different things and I love the thought of like Mary imitating that, trying to imitate it with like her arm and stuff I just imagine her doing like an elephant impression yeah it makes me think of is there a bit in the jungle book where Mowgli's trying to like um go around with the elephants and he does the trunk as well to like join in the elephant parade I feel like that's a thing it is it is a thing yeah so she starts to be able to talk to them in their language and we learn that they are the Malefa but individually they are is it Zalith or Zalith? Zalith I think I you know what this would have been a great chapter to have thought to listen to the audiobook beforehand instead of just reading it because I would have had a lot of help with pronunciations but I didn't so we're in it on our own oh boy (laughs) and then so Mary starts to write it all down like compiling it in like a journal and then she asks the I Ching if this is the right thing for her to be doing, to be with the Malefa, because obviously she's having a great time, but she's like, oh, fuck, well, I have got an actual mission here. Should I be here? We find out that she should be there and that the Malefa are really interested in the eating and they're all, like, crowded around her, like, watching it. I think just think it's really great. One of the things they find most exciting about watching her do it is that she's able to sort the stalks and then also look at the book and just the you forget how what her what a privilege it is to have two hands that you mean that you can hold a book and turn the page at the same time and that the Malefa don't have that and it's so interesting that that's part of what they love about her and then later on when she's like 
actually starts to feel a bit lonely because she can do these things independently and they've learned they've had to learn to work as a team i just think that's really lovely like a lovely aspect of it like the community-ness of the malefa is probably in part because they only have and they've evolved completely to just have the one limb that is dexterous like a hand so they do have to work together to do so much stuff i just think that's really fucking cool yeah definitely and the fact that they love watching her play the games and do like the here's the church here's the steeple Mm. a thing that i really love that phil has done here is they're like oh they love watching her lace her fingers together or play the childhood game this is the church and this is the steeple or make that over and over thumb to opposite forefinger movement which is what amma was using at the exact same moment in lyra's world as a charm to keep evil spirits away love it I love that he's like, yep, remember Amma, remember Lyra, something's happening there right now. There's a reason that Amma is keeping evil spirits away right now. Like, And I love that it's just lining up the timelines as well, because it's like difficult in books like this where you've got like a million things happening at once with a million different characters and you assume they're all happening at the same time, but you actually don't know. And it's nice to like get that confirmation that shit is happening elsewhere whilst this is happening. So we learn more about Malefa here. They're very much like us in terms of like there's two sexes. They go for like monogamous relationships. It doesn't mention anything about gender, but yeah, I enjoy kind of appreciated that um, when Mary thinks that there might be a difference between the sounds for he's Aleph and she's Aleph, but it was too subtle for her to make out, and so she just kind of is like, well, it doesn't really, not doesn't really matter, but you know, like it's not, it's not like a massive deal. Yeah, maybe assuming the gender of the people that she's interacting with isn't particularly helpful (laughs) and so she's not bothering to write it down i am a bit like come on phil you've created this like otherworldly species that is made so differently to us and you've decided that they live in monogamous couples and seem to have two sexes or two genders and seem to have like children that are very similar to us and like it's an interesting way to be like this is why mary can relate to them so well because societally they're the same as us but it's like wouldn't it have been really cool for mary to have just found herself in a group of like queer polyamorous aliens that don't have gender (laughs) like yes it would have but also unfortunately this was written by a white man in the 90s so you know we weren't gonna get that but yeah, I get I get that. I was I was like, yeah, it could have been different. But also I think, like you said, helps Mary relate to them more, which is like maybe a little bit more important in this context because we need to see Mary relating to them hard. You know what I mean? To like actually believe that she would just, after three days, be like so entrenched in this new group of animals, creatures, people, whatever you want to call them. That's true. The more similar they are to humans, even if they look nothing like humans, um, the more similar to what Mary recognises as society, the easier it is for her to integrate with them. Exactly. And also for a reader, the less you have to extend your disbelief in a, in a way. Because it's like, well, if they were completely alien, we'd be like, why the fuck is Mary like living with these creatures after like three days? But we see the, you know, the growth there really quickly. Yeah. I love that the young have like a similar childhood span as humans do and the little description of like the old there's like five young ones and the oldest is like almost almost into adulthood but still they're too they're all too young to use the wheels because their claws are too small and that's adorable so they're like frolicking around just on their four legs and like clearly not as graceful as their uh, adult counterparts. And the description of the young one, who's the oldest child, I just have to read it because it's too cute. Uh, She watched the oldest child one day go quietly into the storehouse where a number of the seed pods were kept and tried to fit his foreclaw into the central hole. But when he tried to stand up, he fell over at once, trapping himself, and that the sound attracted an adult. The child struggled to get free, squeaking with anxiety, and Mary couldn't help laughing at the sight, and the indignant parent and the guilty child who pulled himself out at at the last minute and scampered away. And I'm like, that is 100% somebody trying on their mum's high heels and like tripping down the stairs yeah Yeah. it's such like a rite of like passage to like try on the trappings of adulthood a little bit before you're ready just to see how it feels like or being like keen to grow up when you should just enjoy being a kid and like it's again a really human moment to 
put onto the Malefa and like really again like I was immediately reading that being like I was like oh it's like trying on your your mum's shoes or something it's such a this is something very human in a lot of ways like that we can recognize it's just really cute absolutely it's very cute so it explains here like how the wheels work with the claws and I get it it's mostly because of the oil right so like because I was thinking like if they're hooking onto these wheels that must fucking hurt because like the rotation of the wheels must like absolutely rip their claws to it right or like how are they holding on or is it the oil that makes it slick enough that it doesn't hurt them or are their claws like thick enough that it does I know it says that they're like thick as burn or they might actually be burn it's one of those suspended disbeliefs again so I know Phil has the ability to draw because he's drawn the little lantern slides at the beginning of every chapter why the heck do these books not have diagrams <laughs> Like, it would help so much. Maybe if he had chosen for the picture at the start of the chapter to be a picture of a Malefa's, like, foot hooking into a thing and then we'd know what they looked like, that would be handy. But he's like, I'm not going to draw that. I've written it and it's too hard to imagine, so I won't draw it. Good luck, everyone. It's all on you now. And just, like, the way that I would imagine a claw coming out of a thing is, like, at a particular angle and then the way that it seems to be described as, like, the claw is hooking in the opposite direction to the way I would expect it to. Because you expect claws to hook, like, towards you, like, away from and then back towards you, like a like a bear's claws or a cat's claws or, like, a parrot's beak kind of curve. But it sounds like it's the opposite way because it it's the hook of the claw that puts the pressure, the downward pressure on the wheel to keep the wheel attached while they're moving along. So it's, like... It's not a claw that's... I'm trying, I'm trying to show Faye with my hands and I'm just flailing. I'm flailing. I just can't fathom it in my brain. I find it very difficult. Again, good luck, Russell, and the TV show. Honestly, so, so wild to try and visualise so much of this. So interesting as well. Like, well done, Phil, for thinking up these wild creatures because... Except they're not wild creatures, they're people. <laughs> um, but yeah, like the imagination behind being like yeah i'm just gonna give them weird hook claw situations <laughs> like they're gonna be like bikes right i kind of hate the description of the claw being so smooth that mary physically can't hold it it's like so smooth it's like almost slippery and it's like is it the oil is it just the smoothness of it because of the oil i also don't like that straight after that phil uses the word impregnated I just it just all fits together a bit uneasily. He uses the word absorption earlier in the chapter as well, and I don't appreciate that either. Yeah, about when Mary first arrives at the village, and he says, "And then her absorption truly began." It's like, what is she a tampon? <laughs> like, sounds like a cult. <laughs> yeah. Mary starts to ask herself an interesting question, which is, which had come first, the wheel or the claw, the rider or the tree? Because obviously they all rely on each other in this world so it's very much like a chicken and egg scenario mm -hmm. there's like a third element here which is geology because obviously the Malefa use the seed pods as wheels but they gotta have roads to be able to do that they can't just do it on like in a rough desert or like a rough gravelly area and luckily the like lava flow things have made these like highways for them so like clearly everything has like perfectly come together to make this way of life possible yeah it's very symbiotic i think everything working together in this like perfect ecosystem the the roads help the malefa get to the trees which then in turn we learn that the benefit that the trees get from the relationship with the malefa is that the only way that the seed pods will crack is if they are Phil uses the word pounded. Constantly I pounded. laughed so much. I was like, <laughs> get your mind out of the gutter. <laughs> but yeah, so the seed the seed pods are too tough and just falling out of the tree is not enough to open the seed pod so the seeds can then be distributed and germinated or whatever. And it is the fact that the Malefa use them as wheels that wears down the pods, thins them and eventually breaks them. And the Malefa explained to Mary about how the seeds are really hard to germinate and like each pod has quite a lot of seeds in it but not that many will take so it's like a really really symbiotic thing of like the malefa need the seeds to get around easily and the seeds need the malefa to allow the trees to keep growing i love it i love nature it's so cool it's great it really is i wish we worked with nature this well yeah i know i know we learn about how they're like 
use the grazers as well. Like they kill and eat them, which I was quite surprised that they were, that they're uh, carnivores or omnivores or whatever. I don't know. I think it's because the closest thing that I can relate them to in my head is like antelope or something like that. Antelope, I'm assuming they're herbivores, right? Yes. Yeah. I was quite surprised to hear that they're carnivores. There's something quite odd about the image of an animal that has been described to us in a way that sounds very herb- herbivorous, herbivory. You know, it's it's described in a way that sounds similar to the grazers in a lot of ways and it sounds like what would be a plant eater to us. And then to have the description of them not only eating meat, but also like the skillful butchery of them because like... We're very used to images of animals eating other animals. Like everyone's seeing a, a tiger take something down in a nature documentary. But there's like a wildness associated with that and seeing an animal do something that wild eating me. But then the image of like, if you're like, oh, this tiger that then dragged it away and neatly butchered it with a knife. Like that's a really kind of creepy image. <laughs> and there's something slightly creepy about this as well. And it's like, I know it's not creepy. It's just another sign of them being similar to us as a society. It made me think of yellow jackets again, because, you know, no spoilers. They do a really good job of preserving every part of the animal, which feels very, again, like them being very conscientious of their environment in terms of, like, they are eating meat, but they are using every part. Like, the pelts will be used. The Like, every single part of this animal is going to be used and honoured in some way, which I think is really, again, it shows they're, they're a very, like, eco-community in a lot of ways. Yeah, yeah. They also fish. As well, and Mary, this is where Mary helps them make nets and the bit that you talked about earlier where she's like, oh, I can do it by myself, but actually I'll just use one hand and work with somebody else as well. I would like to try with you to tie some knots where we each use one hand and see how difficult (laughs) it is because it sounds really difficult. Because like just trying to tie a knot one-handed is tricky in itself and we're very lucky that we have five whole digits to do it with. But the Malefa only have two and so I imagine that makes it really hard. The coordination. I feel like we should film a video of us trying to tie something with one hand each and probably having an argument (laughs) because I cannot see see it going well. This is where Mary calls that one of the female Zalifs her particular friend which is just like well exactly Rachel's raising her eyebrows at me it is as soon as I hear that phrase I just think gay that is how like queer couples in pop culture have been coded for fucking years using phrases like that and I've definitely heard the phrase particular friend many times before yeah like oh this was her particular friend it's like well you could just say wife Lover, girlfriend. Yeah, it's very, it feels very somebody writing a historical account of a Victorian woman who had never got married but lived with her sister till a ripe old age. And it's like, hmm, they weren't sisters, you know, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. But then that's the thing, right? And I don't want to go too, I don't want to crack too far into this because we got an email from somebody and I'm so sorry, I can't remember who it was, that alluded to this kind of vibe. We'll have to see where it goes. But what would the vibe be here if Mary and this... Zalif were like a thing. Can that be a thing? It depends how different you view them, right? Like, are they people? If they're people, in the same way as like, if they are reviewing the Malefa as being people as much as you would a vampire in a vampire movie, a werewolf in a werewolf movie, any of the other creatures that we interact with in our things that are humanoid like and being like oh well yeah it's super chill that vampires can even though they're technically like a different species or whatever but then also it's like that line of like how different it is from your humanity because then you get to like Gilman and it's like well Gilman's kinky there right so (laughs) it's like well yeah where's the line yeah yeah it's interesting isn't it do you know what we've not said this in fucking ages but let's just pop a pin in it to see what happens see if there's more descriptions that might make us lean in that direction yes i'm so sorry i just said let's pop a pin in it and move on but i will say that literally the line after it says particular friend it says and from that time on she used one hand to knot the fibers sharing the task with a female zalif who became her particular friend fingers and trunk moving in and out together thanks for that (laughs) oh oh my god that was a point that i had noted down about the idea of the malefa dealing with the the animal carcass um because they're meat eaters it's with their trunks if they're functioning anywhere similar to like elephant trunks it's also their nose right so you're handling raw meat with your nose and it just i was thinking about it and i was like maybe that's another element of why i was freaking me out because i was like 
they're not only doing all of the processing of this animal carcass, they're also doing it all with their faces, which I mean, I guess is only the same as somebody eating like a lion. Maybe it's not that weird. It's just the idea of doing it all with your nose. Like, what if it's the smelly stuff? Well, yeah, it's like the idea of shoving your face into some raw meat is kind of what the vibe is there, right? Yeah, especially if we're viewing them as people and not animals, which we are. So This is when we learn about the seed pods needing a constant pounding. And I will just breeze past that very quickly. And then, so this is this bit's interesting, sir. It says, It was hard to understand, but they seemed to be saying that the oil was the centre of their thinking and feeling, that young ones didn't have the wisdom of their elders because they couldn't use the wheels and thus could uh, could absorb no oil through their claws. And that was when Mary began to see the connection between the malefa and the question which had occupied the past few years of her life. And this is when we kind of see why Mary is with them and, you know, start to understand why she might be there and why it's the right thing for her to be there. Yeah, again, it's Phil being like, what's the difference between grown-ups and kids? And we've had in every world that we've come to so far, except for our own, where he's not really gone into it, there has been a very clear difference where it, whether it is your demon settling or the spectres being able to get you or being able to use the wheels. Like, what is it in our world? I wonder. Oh, yeah. Interesting. So there's a description here, and I'd like you to tell me which of our friends this reminds you of. But before she could examine it any further, and conversations with the Malefa were long and complex because they loved qualifying and explaining and illustrating their arguments with dozens of examples as if they had forgotten nothing and everything they had ever known was available immediately for reference. (laughs) Who does that make you think of? My notes was like, it's my best friend, Ella. Yeah. Yeah. The first time I ever introduced Faye to my friend Ella, I was like, fair warning, and Ella knows this about herself, but she knows it is a part of her that I absolutely fucking adore. I was like, Ella speaks very, very fast, so you might just have to adjust your brain a little bit to get on board with Ella's pace and understand that when she tells a story, she tells it very thoroughly. And Faye was like, yes, I love a thorough storyteller. And then, yeah, the next time I saw each other, she was like, yes, I bloody love that every single story you tell has so many branches to it and you explain everything so well like I feel immersed in your world and Ella was like yes I do I love it I love the detail it's amazing uh it's it's exactly what I want in storytellers go Ella she doesn't listen but we'll just give her a shout out anyway she might she might do one day (laughs) (laughs) okay yeah so the settlement is attacked so the last line of that is yeah before she could examine it any further if you take out the big parentheses that I just read the settlement was attacked. Phil loves to say a dramatic statement and then have like a big old paragraph break. Yeah, yeah, like, classic. Is that what you call Phil. it? What's the what would you call it? When I'm somebody... not really sure. Double space bar. He double space barred it. <laughs> not space bar. Double return keyed it. Double return keyed it. This it's very much a new theme for this book. Really, I think we've had it occasionally before, but like he's done it like three times in this book so far, and we're only on chapter ten. I feel like he used it a fair amount in The Subtle Life because the chapters themselves were longer, so they needed breaking up a little more. And like for me, if I'm reading a book with really long chapters, those breaks tend to be the times when I would stop reading unless somebody leaves something particularly cliffhangery and like shiny and dangly right at the end of the last sentence, which is what Phil literally just did by saying they get attacked. This <laughs> How this chapter starts is essentially a very similar description to the quote that Phil pulled for the beginning of the chapter. Uh, Mary is on the roof of the hut and she sees something on the horizon. She can see out as far as the sea from where she is on top of the hut. I love that she's up there helping out and being as helpful as she can because she can thatch faster than the Malefa can because they're not super great at climbing and they have to do it in pairs and she can just climb up there all by herself and do it, which is great. And the image of her just like on this hut, like looking out to sea is really nice. She was braced against the rafters of a house, catching the bundles of reeds thrown up to her, enjoying the cool breeze from the water that was tempering the heat of the sun when her eye was caught by a flash of white. It came from that distant glitter that she thought was the sea. She shaded her eyes and saw (laughs) one, two more, a fleet of tall white sails emerging out of the heat haze some way off but making with a silent grace for the river mouth so something is coming and it looks like boats and the Malefra are like what are you seeing and she doesn't know what to say like she doesn't know the word for boat or for sail she's not had to learn it yet it's not been relevant so she's just like tall white many (laughs) clearly that like rings a bell for them and they're like right 
action stations, everybody. We're getting attacked. We're getting the fuck out of here, basically. Yeah. <laughs> we learned that her friend, her particular friend is called, is, would you say Atal or Atal? 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 I think it's Atal. Atal. Yeah. Yeah. And whatever is coming is called Tualapi. Tualapi? Tualapi? Tualapi. We learn very quickly that these are not boats. The white sails by this time had already entered the river, easily making headway against the current. Mary was impressed by the discipline of the sailors. They tacked so swiftly, the sails moving together like a flock of starlings, all changing directions simultaneously. And they were so beautiful, those snow-white slender sails, bending and dipping and filling. There were 40 of them at least, and they were coming up river much more swiftly than she thought. But she saw no crew on board, and then she realised that they weren't boats at all. They were gigantic birds, and the sails were their wings. Uh, one fore and one aft held upright and flexed and trimmed by the power of their own muscles and i would just like to say i fucking hate these birds i fucking hate them i read this yesterday before i made my notes and i think this is the angriest i have been in this entire book series so far i hate them rich i hate them more than asriel my notes literally go swan description they beefy I hate these nasty ass birds. They're gross, they're tacky, and I hate them. Yeah. <laughs> yes, I fucking hate everything about them. Oh my God, I'm so mad. I'm just mad. I'm so mad. I'm so mad. I love the that Phil went, okay, diamond shape. We're going to go for these like wheelie guys with the legs, and then I'll make some boaty guys. I'm like, he's basing everything on a vehicle. I'm here for it. Again, very hard to envision, but I think slightly easier than the Malefa because at least we've had them compared to a swan. So. We know that they've got a very, like, this one light neck, and then it's just rearranging the wing placement, which is not too tricky. And also, they're described as gigantic birds. It's not like the Malefa are described as elephants, you know what I mean? Like, so we have a reference point straight away. Yeah. They sound massive and beefy and scary. I'm not here for it. Mary manages to ride away with her friend, and the Malefa's tactic for dealing with them is run and hide and see what's left at the end which i think is really really sad and but also again shows a lot about them as being like a very peaceful people in that they're not prepared to fight they are prepared to run away as fast as they can it's like or wheel away as fast as they can yeah the fucking dickhead birds destroy everything in the settlement they can't smash the seed pods so to be little fucking bastards they just throw them in the river or like push them down the thing into the river fucking bastards honestly and then the worst bit and I go on no I say this, this, we've spent the whole chapter learning about how industrious the Malefa are how hard they work and Mary helping them with their work and how like they're so civilised they've got so much going on like they're just lovely eco-friendly hard-working people and then these massive nasty ass birds come in and ruin all of the hard work and they're really horrible and I'll let Faye say what they do next because she literally texted it to me in capital letters and was like fucking hate these birds <laughs> My note is, I fucking hate these birds. It literally is. I hate them. <sighs> they shit in the middle of the settlement. And I'm so fucking mad about it. Like, honestly, like, every fibre of my being is angry about the this. Disrespect. The disrespect. The fucking disrespect. It's the disrespect. It's the fucking disrespect. Pillage, if you will. Plunder, if you must. But shitting on my high street, <laughs> I am not having it. <laughs> exactly. You know what I mean? So, like, animals, if we're referring to them as animals, just for the purpose of this do what they've got to do to eat and to get food and that's just it but to like push the seed pods into the river because they can't break them and then to fucking shit everywhere that is some fucking bullshit excuse the pun like i just fucking hate it i can't i can't get my words out properly because i'm just so angry about it it's also kind of the line between understanding these birds as being as intelligent as the malefa or it being an animal attack if that makes sense. Like, is it just, oh, is the equivalent of a pack of wolves happen to stroll through town? You can't really blame the wolves. It's just in their nature. They're going to scavenge what they can find, attack whatever to defend themselves or to do what, you know, wolves going to, wolves going to wolf. Um, but are these birds just birds going to bird? Or are they, is it malicious? Is it an attack? Is it a thought through coordinated thing, which... It's kind of implied at the point at which they decide to shit everywhere. 
Like, there is a maliciousness about that that suggests a certain level of intelligence. Uh, Yeah, we do not appreciate it. I do not appreciate the description of it. I don't need to know that it is a green, black, brown, (sighs) white dung and that the smell drifts, that it's pools of that. Pools. Pools. It's not like a easy to clean up little little log like dog, dog poo bag <laughs> vibes yeah you could you can't just bag that up and whack it in the bin like that's you're gonna have to like scrub that out no thank you Ugh, grim and they can smell it all the way up the hill it's just the description of the malefa their little hearts breaking as like their town gets destroyed they're like murmuring and crooning with sorrow and mary's like i help, help. we make again yeah oh it, it breaks my heart. The Malefa are upset, obviously, that their town has been destroyed um, and wrecked, but they're most upset because when they go to count the seed pods, there were 15 in total originally, but only two are left and the rest have been pushed into the river and the Malefa can't swim. Mary's never seen them swim. They When they're fishy, they stay on the banks and Mary, oh, Mary. gets her... Pamela Anderson on. She goes full Baywatch. She strips off and she runs into the river and she's doing like a Baywatch seed rescue. I'm here for it. She's like, yes, this is the most useful I've been since I've arrived. I'm showing how grateful I am to these people. I'm being so helpful. I'm saving them because they care so much about these seeds and I'm going to swim because she finds like, there's like a slight like sandy inlet a little bit round and she manages to rescue five seeds. Yay. Go Mary. Go Mary. Mary. Doing a little Baywatch run into the water. (laughs) Yeah, and then we learn like why they're so upset about these seed pods going, well, being stolen, being shoved down the river. And it's because there's not many left. The trees are dying. It says that it was something that happened years ago, right? So I'm like, oh, well, it can't be the Azrael explosion. So I was trying to work this out because, yeah, it says something that happened many years ago. And it's like, does that, how, how many years? Because the. Azrael explosion was too recent for it to be that. But is it a similar thing to, like, for example, the Magisterium blames everything on the fall of man or the fall of Eve and that. So is it that they have their own version of a story like that where something went wrong and that's why society is being negatively affected? Like, maybe they have their own story of, like, somebody did something and the trees stopped growing so well or something. Yeah, maybe. Or is it something that does relate in... Because the spectres existed in the Chittagatsi world for hundreds of years, but only increased massively in number because of the Azrael explosion. So is it around the same time as whatever happened with the spectres and that caused the spectres to start existing that the tree started dying? Like, is it some, some similar... There's got to be a crossover point, or I want there to be a crossover point because that would be satisfying. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, there's got to be something. I'm sure we'll hopefully learn more. I love this. As two people that have read the books before, we're like, I ain't got a clue. Couldn't tell you. Couldn't tell you, mate. I do not remember. <laughs> I hope that it gets resolved because if it doesn't, it's not satisfying, but it's fine because by the time it does, we'll have forgotten that we ever mentioned it in the first place. True. And that is, that is truly one of the positives of having a shit memory. And that's the end of that chapter. Yes. Mm. What is the next chapter called, Rich? Tell me. The next chapter is called The Dragonflies. I had to check if it was just dragonflies or, or the, the dragonflies. dragonflies. There are specific dragonflies. The dragonflies. So we're going to be back with the old uh, Shabby and Sally. Yeah. Well, it sounds that way. Unless it's some other dragonflies. <laughs> Who knows? Who knows with Phil? Well, it's true. That is true. I liked that chapter. I liked learning more about the Malefa. It was like a really exposition-y heavy chapter just for the fact of like... You know, we needed to know how the Malefa work and what they do. But like, I feel like it was done in a better way than Phil has done that before. Maybe it's just because I find them interesting. Again, it kind of links back into the types of exposition and world building that we enjoy and the types that we don't enjoy. So we know that we're both very character-driven people and we find stuff to do with societies interesting and stuff to do with how people function together and interact with each other interesting. And that seems to be very much what the Malefa do. They're all about society and like learning about how this society works is really interesting if we were learning about their geopolitical history i probably wouldn't be that bothered that's you know true I mean? that's very true yeah, yeah if it was like all about geography and like the politics of some ancient malefa king or something i'd be like okay sure 
but it's the fact that it's very personal it's about the people in the community i like that a lot yeah no i agree with you definitely do you have an award to give out i'm gonna give my award to the little malefa that that wanted to try on the shoes yes yes (laughs) one of the wheels i think it's really cute the image just is one of the parts of the chapter that kind of gave me the most joy so yeah that's for you little malefa may your shoes fit well may your wheels fit you well one day soon oh (laughs) very cute very cute what about you Mine's for Mary. I know it's really obvious, but like I really just enjoyed her this chapter and just like just getting stuck in and like her I've said it before, like I love how eager she is to learn and you know how much she wanted to help them at the end when they lost everything and oh she's just great. She's just such a great character. I wanna give a bonus award that's kind of like an anti award. It's the get in the bin award and it is for the horrible nasty swan that did the poo. <sighs> I would like for that swan to get in the bin and never be seen again it was more than was it more than one of them though it wasn't just one of them was it was it was it was it a group poop i think it was (laughs) oh god i think it was a group poop (laughs) i thought it was just like the last one on the way out that was like here fuck you guys oh no yeah they they all do it yeah yeah the foul creatures hadn't finished yet holding their beauty yeah yeah there yeah not me thinking it was the last one as they all strutted out i know it's worse rich it's worse they all did it no no (laughs) More shit to clean up. Love it. Uh, all, okay, all those ones can get them in. Yeah. Yeah. Speaking of awards and rewards, we are still doing our little giveaway whereby if you drop us a review, because we love the reviews, we need the reviews, they help us with the ratings and all of the good stuff that we need to do well in podcast land. If you leave us a review... And if you screenshot that and email it to us at herdartmaterialspod at gmail.com, that email with the screenshot becomes your entry into a prize draw where we get 50 entries. We'll pull 10 names and 10 people will get some of our super cute HDM pod bookmarks. We've got a book club bookmark with a cute picture of demons on it. And we've got a bookmark that is of Lyra and Yorick on Svalbard. It's really cute. They're both shiny. So... Yes, you get a bookmark and then one of those 10 people will get a full merch pack that's up to date with all of the stickers and stuff that we do. So you should definitely leave us a review and email it to us and help us get to that goal that we have. (laughs) Yes, please give us five stars, say nice things. And if you don't want to leave us a review or you can't, you can tell a friend about us. You can. What else can people do? Tweet at us. Tweet us. They can tag us on instagram all those nice things uh we love to see it so yeah get in touch we bloody love an email as well don't forget we do we do we bloody love an email we bloody love a tweet we bloody love it all we do we do we We bloody love all except for shitty horrible swans yes Thanks so much for listening to this episode of Herd Art Materials. You can find us on Twitter, Instagram and Facebook at HDMPod and you can email us over at herdartmaterialspod at gmail.com and you can visit our website at hdmpod.co.uk. If you want to support us, you can become a patron at patreon.com forward slash hdmpod. We also have a shop where you can buy merch featuring all original artwork from Rich. You can find it at hdmpod.co.uk forward slash shop. I'm fair, and when I'm not screaming about how much I hate those fucking birds, you can find me talking about Paramore on my other podcast, Still Into You. You can listen wherever you get your podcasts and find us on Twitter and Instagram at Still Into You Pod. I'm Rachel, and when I'm not here chatting to you lovely folks about mind-boggling Malefa anatomy, I'm making cute and magical arty things. You can find me over on Instagram at RachMakes, on Twitter and TikTok at Rach underscore makes, and over on my online shop, RachMakes.co.uk. A huge thanks as always to Johnny Knott for his musical stylings. And we'll see you in two weeks' time. And don't forget, keep telling stories and all will be well.
Fuck those birds. Fuck those fucking birds.